This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 126. Today on our show, it's Jeff Ruby. So I said to John, I said, You're, this wall here is the goal line. I'm the linebacker. You're the running back. See if you can make it pass me. Next thing you know, the benches are flying. And then Sparky is in his room, and he hears this noise. And he comes running out of, the, of, his, of his office at Fenway. So Sparky comes running out, and Sparky called me Bubba, and he's pulled me, Bubba, this is my all-star catch. Entrepreneur and restaurateur Jeff Ruby joined us to discuss his storied life and career. We hear how a kid from New Jersey becomes a Reds fan, and later winds up in the Queen City, pals and business partners with players from his favorite team. Jeff also tells us about how his high school football coach helped turn around his life, the science of disco, celebrity tales, and more. Now, if you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com. Also, be sure to listen for the special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Now, let's talk to Jeff Ruby. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from Cincinnati. Once in a while, I'm at Cincy in Cincinnati. I'm going to get triple team here. It looks like there's three guys on this. <laughs> yep. I like everybody's backgrounds. I got the, I'm in the kids' playroom, PF's in the basement. Yep. Oh, my son in law, my son in law, Caleb Miller, set this up on his computer and he lives across the street. And, um, but he's leaving now, so if there's any technical difficulties, <laughs> I got to call him because I'm a, I'm a uh, illiterate uh, on the internet and, and all that. <laughs> I wish I was. <laughs> awesome. So far, so good. All right. Former Bengal, Caleb Miller, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Oh. Yeah. He no. played the Seahawks game without a helmet, and that was the end of his career. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. That'll happen. Yeah. Made a tackle, I guess it was shown out to, and uh, I watched it on TV. I said, I hope it's not Caleb, and sure enough, it was. Hmm. What was it? Um, so when we were trying to prepare for this, uh, you know, I'm like, how do we how do we talk to Jeff Ruby for only an hour with like all the stories that <laughs> we've heard hour. and that are out there? <laughs> okay, now I did a podcast yesterday, 15 minutes, and was on just on the phone, I didn't have the video, and uh, and uh. Apparently going to uh, two and a half million people, but that was fifteen minutes. This is only an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mar- Marty Brenneman was the the first person that I reached out to to say what what do we have to ask Jeff about, oh, and God. he said he said that Lucy's in the sky in the seventies is obviously uh, something that I already had on the list. Was that your was that your first foray into the night nightclub life here in town or period? Well, I, um, yeah, it, it was a, um, it, there's so many s- stories about all this. It was, I came to work, uh, 
for a company called Weingartner Hammers, which owned, uh, which is headquartered in Cincinnati. And um, when I was at Cornell, and um, part of my, you know, I went there, I played football, but I always wanted to go to Cornell because it was the best hotel restaurant school in America. So I got to Cornell and um, my, my job for my meals was to help feed the varsity football team. So there was a guy named Eric Camford who was getting his master's, a big guy, played football in Virginia. He was president of Weingarten Hands. So he always saw me goofing off. He could never find me when the team was being fed. I was in the kitchen at the Statler Hotel, which is the hotel for the hotel school. But the employees there, um, you know, are local people. And then the students work there. But it, I would be, you know, talking to dishwashers and the managers there and cooks there. And I'd be eating prime rib with them in, in rooms and all. And he'd find me eating prime rib instead of working on the training table, you know, uh, all the way down the other end of, of the building, of the, of the hotel school. So he chewed me out and gave me a real good, um, you know, uh, slashing verbally. He said, you know, you think you're a hot SHIT because you're New Allstate, New Jersey. Everybody, everybody here was Allstate, New States. You're no better. Stop acting and, and, and blah, blah, blah. And here's your job now. These varsity football players, they're taking more than one ice cream Dixie cup. Remember those old Dixie cups ice cream came yeah. in? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They split up. He said, we're only allowed one. They're taking a half a dozen of them, dozen of them. You're taking them back to your, their fraternities and, and putting them on the windowsill and keep them cold there. Cornell had to keep them cold on the windowsill. And he said, your job now, since you're such a jerk, is not behind the cafeteria line dishing out, you know, meatloaf. Your, your job is... To, to be at the ice cream station at the end of the buffet and tell them one ice cream. That's all they get. That's an okay. So next thing you know, he comes in and there's a big fight. And I'm fighting with the other freshmen. I'm fighting with the captain senior of the team, Freddie Devlin, all East, all Ivy. And uh, he said, what are you doing? Eric Campbell said, I said, he wanted more than one ice cream. And, and he said, I'll take as many as I want. And I said, F you and all this stuff. And, you know, I, the way I talk, I can't do on here. But, but it was clear that um, I didn't give a damn who he was. He was getting, no, he was getting one ice cream. And Freddie Devlin said, you telling me you're some freshman? You're telling me I can take one ice cream? F you. I said, no, F you. And boom, <laughs> next thing you know, there's tables. So, and Eric Campbell says, Jeff, that is the captain of the team. He's Freddie Devlin. He's our senior linebacker. He's our all-East player. I said, well, well, you got double standards here. Then why didn't you say to me, everyone but Freddie Devlin gets one ice cream. And Freddie can take the whole ice cream parlor back to his fraternity. So four years later, he Eric Camford is recruiting to go to Weingartner Hands. And I wouldn't sign up for an interview because I knew he would just, you know, he wouldn't give me an offer. And my, my roommate and a teammate on Santa LaQuatra from Pittsburgh, another linebacker, he said, Rubes, I interviewed with, with Eric. He wants you. He wants you to interview. I said, yeah, he wants to interview me so he can laugh in my face and say, send me a letter. Sorry, you didn't make, you know, you didn't make the, the, the team. 
He said, no, he really likes you. He, I said, are you serious? So I signed up. I went for the interview. So long story short, he made me an offer. He followed my career and how I got better and all this stuff. So he wants me to start Syracuse. Now I'm graduated and I'm in Asbury Park, New Jersey at a Perkins Pancake House, which I've worked ever since, uh, um, I think my sophomore year. I ran away from home when I was 15, my sophomore year. And uh, I raised myself. I just ran away, got on a good humor ice cream truck. There was a sign that said no riders on the ice cream truck. I peeled that off and put it on my little white suitcase. And from there I walked and, and, uh, and I, uh, I slept under the boardwalk and I, I, I was homeless uh, and all of that. So now, now I'm back at, um, now I'm back at uh, Cornell and, and he wants, and I'm working at Perkins. And I had saved up 600 bucks by the time I moved out of my house. And I had hid it from my mother. And, um, and I, I punched a hole in my bedroom wall once, and then I put the money in there on a little shelf and I covered it with something. So when I left, I had 600 bucks. So now he calls me, uh, of course I was 15. So now I'm the Cornell graduate. He wants me to start in Syracuse. I'm back at Perkins. And I was an eggologist. I was very good with eggs, very good with eggs. I could crack two in each hand and, 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 uh, and, and mix them. I was very good at, at Perkins. And my goal was maybe to be assistant manager one day. And the boss there I liked, and Johnny Angelus, he was a great guy, and I, I looked up to him. So Eric's calling me, and, and I come back from the kitchen. It was an exhibition kitchen. I have to come to the hostess stand to take the phone calls. Because the good news back then, there was no cell phones. That was the good news. So I would answer the phone and you know, say, I want to speak to Jeff Rubin. So he kept on calling me. I said, listen, I don't want to um, start in Syracuse. I said, you know, you recruited me to a hotel there, one of your hotels in Syracuse. I spent the night. It was all good and all of that. But I want to, you know, I'm here in Cornell, which is 45 minutes away from Syracuse. I want to move. I want the Cincinnati job. He said, why do you want to go to Cincinnati? I said, I'm a Reds fan. He said, how can you be a Reds fan? He said, you're born and raised in Jersey. So that's a whole separate story. I was a Reds fan, which ironically turned out to be the reason I, I, I wound up being successful. And I, so how, why, why were you a Reds fan? I, well, I was in, staying in a little motel with my mother once in St. Petersburg. And I was just in the hotel room on a little TV watching a team being beat by the Pittsburgh Pirates by about 13 runs. And the team being beaten was the Reds. I was about eight years old or so. So I started rooting for the underdog. I've been for the underdog my whole life. So, and I was never a Me Too guy. And Me Too back then isn't what Me Too means now. It means, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, you're in, I'm Me Too. Okay. Oh, you're a Red Yankee fan? Well, Me Too then. You're a follower. Okay, I go. I was always different, and I was born, unfortunately, without a filter. And you can't get a filter. Nobody's given filter donors. There's no transplant. There's no donors. So <laughs> I was watching the Reds, and they're making a comeback, and I'm rooting for them. And they come back, and they're you know 15 to 13 or something. That's and they had Ted Plazuski, but that, that was the time. I'm talking Gus Bell, Wally Post, these guys, and all this and that. And and uh, I think they lost, but from then I was a Reds fan. And Frank Robinson was my hero because everyone's hero was Mickey Mantle, especially if you were a white kid. You're, you're in Jersey, you're a Mickey Mantle fan, you're a Yankee fan. 
And, and, uh, and of course, Willie Mays played for the New York Giants at the time. And he was great, but I was a Red fan. So Frank Robinson, who I later met at my restaurant opening night, and, and, and he asked me if I would autograph my Jeff Ruby baseball cap for him. I said, oh, my God, this is my hero. And he wanted So it, it just goes on and on. But so I said, listen, he said, well, you can't come to Cincinnati. I got to know what you're going to do because there's a domino effect. We move managers all over the country. We've got Holiday Inns in Alaska. We, you know, Boise, Idaho, California. I said, well, I, I, I'm a Reds fan. And, and it was 1970. It was the summer. And the worst race riots in the country were happened then. Bruce Springsteen left Asbury Park for New York when that happened. And they burned the street. I used to hang out. It was all burned down. And, and, and I said, listen, uh, I'm just happy here at Perkins. I might be assistant manager one day. <laughs> he said, I can do amazing things with eggs. Right, so <laughs> he said, he said uh, yeah, I used to work out for football. And, and the big 50-pound flower bags were kept in the basement of the Perkins. And I would carry one in each arm up the steps to to, to, to to, uh, you know, as a workout, as a, yeah. as a weight routine, to, to build up my forearms. And he lets me start in, in, in Cincinnati. And I moved, I had a 69 Dodge Charger, a la, a la Bullet with Steve. I was going to say, Bullet. And the movie came out, and um, I had a one, I had a, that little white suitcase that had no riders still on it, and I had $20. And at so this point, you'd never been to Cincinnati, right? Like, you just were a Reds no, fan and you knew of the city, but you'd I never been, been to Cincinnati. But I knew their headquarters was there and I was a Reds yeah. fan. Yeah. So I'm staying in, um, I'm staying at uh, one of the assistant innkeepers at the Holiday Inn on Aitman Lynn. That's where I was going to start. And one of the guys there was uh, a Cornell guy who was the assistant innkeeper there. And he had, um, and I didn't know him in college. He was a couple years older than me. He had a, a, a apartment at the Forum. So he let me pay him. I didn't have any money. And I just I just stayed at, um, slept on his couch and paid him, you know, a few bucks a week or something, 70, whatever it was, a month, just not much. And that's where I slept. And I didn't have any clothes anyway. So I go down, they had, and by the way, the Forum back then, you had Mike Reed, who I didn't know. Mike Reed was living there, the former first-round pick of the Bengals. Yep. Jim LaBarbera, you know Jim, the, the radio to the music professor. So he had all these high-profile young young people living there, you know. And Dick Whitaker was in his 20s. And, and Johnny Bench was, turns out, was living there, too. So they had a bar called the Den of the Forty Thieves. So I said, well, I'm going to go down to this bar. What a great name. What a great name for a bar. The Den of the Forty Thieves. So I go down to the Den of the Forty Thieves, and and uh, there's a guy sitting at a bar stool, not at the bar, but at a stand-up table, and he's got young, beautiful women all over. They're all around him. They've got their arms around him. They're sitting on his knee. They look like, who is it, Santa Claus? I mean, what is there's a He's giving out Christmas present. What is going on here? Johnny Bench. So I'm single. I don't know anybody in Cincinnati. Haven't met a girl yet. Haven't been there long. I said, man, I got to go over and meet this guy. If I could get his spillage, I'm like, he can't handle it. <laughs> he can't. 
He can't handle all of these women. Long story short, he was my first investor in the precinct and made the precinct possible. Wow. Which, which, and then Pete Rose got in the deal too. And Pete and Johnny became friends of mine. Joe Morgan became friends. Sparky Anderson was staying at the Holiday Inn. I got transferred to uh, his first year uh, at Covington and uh, was was living there. And I met Sparky, became a father figure. I'm in Sparky's first and last book. He talks about it. And all of this because I was a Reds fan, but Johnny Bench and Pete Rose made the precinct possible. We made my first restaurant possible. It, that was so ironic that I moved to Cincinnati instead of Syracuse or any place I could have. I could have gone anywhere in the country they had a holiday. And I wanted Cincinnati. Without Johnny Bench and Pete Rose, there's no first restaurant. And without that first restaurant, there's no second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh restaurant. And, and, and because they were in it, and then I was able to get other partners. Um, Mike Debert, Performance Automotive, was there from the beginning. And, and, and the only people that really knew me was Pete and Johnny. And they got in the deal, and it was a terrible, it was, it was prime interest rate was 20%. The recession was horrible. <laughs> I mean, this is nothing right now compared, compared, you know, every recession we've had since then. It was the highest unemployment, the highest interest rate in the history of the country, the highest post-war inflation and, uh, and, and, and unemployment rates. And, and I'm opening up a, a, a restaurant that had 52 liens against it. It was called Amanda. And there were 52 creditors suing the place to, because they owed money. 52. That's like one for each week. So it turns out, and Reuben Katz was my attorney, and I met Reuben because he was Johnny's attorney and Pete's attorney, and their account became my account, and their friends became my friends. And, and um, we got, um, when there were 52 liens, we said, we were just going to lease the place, you know? And, um, well, we can't lease the place. There's, there's too many lawsuits. You'd have to buy it. And I said, okay. And Johnny said, well, Jeff, we'll just, I'm not buying this place. Uh, you know, we'll wait till another opportunity. I said, John, I said, uh, I've already been fired. I got 11 years of wine garden hands. The recession, there was an austerity program that every company cut and fat in the country. So by then I was regional director of all the Holiday Inns from Florence, Kentucky to Middletown, Ohio, seven. And they decided they're going to go from five regional directors to three and save that money. So three guys would cover the 30-some Holiday Inns. And, and, and since I had already given my notice, in fact, I gave it once before, I was going to be a, by the White Horse Tavern over there on Dixie Highway. And uh, that deal fell through. So I'd give my, I said, listen, I'm taking my notice back. I, the White House deal fell through, White Horse uh, fell through. Yeah. But now I'm giving my notice. I said, listen, I'm up at this place. It's called the Mandas. It's an old police station from 1901. And it was actually competition to my Lucy's in the Sky at the time because of the discotheque up there. And Lucy's in the Sky was that too. Well, I get my notice. Then I got to try to take my notice back. They said, Jeff, you're being laid off. You know, you're, you're cutting the company and you know, you're one of the two that are going after 11 years. So I said, Johnny, yeah, by the way, I've been fired, but we got to do this. So we bought the place and uh, we bought the priest. And the, all the partners, um, there was 10 partners, but the other guys got in a lot of because there was Pete and Johnny in the deal. It was a pretty sexy thing. I, I'm going to be in a restaurant with Pete and Johnny. 
and you know they really didn't know who I was. Now, was so, this before or after they had their own restaurants? Well, Pete and Johnny. Yeah. Johnny had restaurants that had gone out of business. Okay. You know, okay. Home plate. Home plate. Right. One was, one was in Florence and one was in Coleraine, I think. Over the, the malls there. Yeah, so Johnny, and Pete and Johnny really weren't the best of friends. And I think they were both partners who had their names on some car dealership prior to that. But they weren't the greatest of friends. And, but they both did it for me. In fact, I remember calling Pete on the phone. I said, well, I'm going to be leaving Holiday Inn. He says, you mean you're going to do this and you're not going to be also working at Holiday? I said, no, it's just this. He said, well, then I want two shares if you're, this is going to be your full-time thing. But we, we got in there and, um, and we did it. But it was actually what I accomplished, getting back to your thing, at Lucy's in the Sky. What we had at the time I started at Weingarten Hammers was a nightclub on the top floor of the Holiday Inn. And it was a knockoff of the Playboy and and the Playboy Club, which ironically was just across was across the street from what is now Jeff Ruby's. I mean, I look at the I used to go there for lunch and, and the the Playboy Club. They had a thing called the Den of the Little Foxes at the top of the Holiday. It was called Top of the Inn, and 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 they were instead of bunnies, they were foxes. They were dressed like foxes, and they were foxes, if you know what I mean. So so. I had met I had met Johnny, and that was before I turned it into Lucy's in the Sky. But there was Vegas shows there, guys that were on TV, that guys that played in Vegas, bands, really nice groups. Uh, Phil Phil Flowers and his group, Orange Colored Sky, Mickey, Larry, and the Excited. There was some. They used to play the Inner Circles back then before it was Bogarts. So I meet Johnny, like I said, over there at the Den of the Forty Thieves. I said, "Listen, I'm an assistant manager." at the top of the inn, come up sometime, you know, be my guest, blah, blah, blah. He said, well, great. So I go back to my apartment and I tell him I, the manager there that I was, you know, renting from, who was the assistant manager over me at the Holiday Inn. I says, I met Johnny Bench and I invited him up to the club. You know, maybe he'll come. Now I'm a Reds fan. And And the first time I ever met Johnny, I didn't meet him. Uh, I went to Cornell, and the Buffalo Bisons, I think they were called, there was a Buffalo farm team for the Reds. Yeah. And they are playing Cornell in baseball. And I'm already a Reds fan since I'm eight years old. So the backstop was right on the corner of the main road on campus, the backstop. So I'm standing there behind Johnny Bench watching him catch. And I'm a Reds fan, and I knew who he was. He was 19 at the time. That was my first experience that I was seeing Johnny Bench. I didn't meet him. And I played football there. I didn't play baseball. So I invite him up. So like, a, I don't know, a day or two later, whatever. There's a phone call at the top of the end. They said, uh, Mr. Ruby, it's uh, it's Johnny Bench on the phone for you. I said, I don't believe this. So I, I get on the phone. I thought it was Dick Whitaker, who was the manager above me, whose apartment I shared with, and who had lived there at the floor. And never, I don't think he ever met Johnny Bench. So I thought it was him making fun. So I get on the phone. I said, this is Jeff. You know, this is Johnny Bench. I said, yeah. I just said, hello. And I said, who's this? He said, this is Johnny Bench. I said, yeah, this is Richard Nixon. How you doing? What do you want to talk about? I didn't think it was Johnny Bench. And uh, it was. He said, well, you invited us up. I wanted to come up and do some of these guys. And 
come up to your club up there. So he, he did. I don't know that night or next time. So he comes up with like 12 people. All, now at the time, was it a happening spot already? It was, yeah, but it was shows. There was a buffet with prime rib and crab legs and all this and that. The, the good-looking girls dressed like foxes, just like the Playboy bunnies. And a really damn good show acts, Vegas show groups up there. So, and, and it was on the 12th floor of the Holiday Inn on Lynn Street. So Johnny comes up with all these people. Now, back then, we had an, an account. Uh, we were allowed to sign for drinks or meals or whatever. Up to $150 a month was your budget. So if you guys want to come up here and I want to buy you a drink, that's fine. After $150 a month, that's it. You are not you are not authorized to do that. Okay, so they came up. There was more than 150 that first night. My first night, I'm picking up a ticket. A few hundred dollars. There's all these guys. You know, you got 12 or 10 guys eating buffet, drinking, and tramping, whatever they have. And I said, Oh my God, I'm screwed here. I'll get fired. My first, you know, before I've been working for the company for a week. So I signed. You know, I picked up the tab. That's how I met really Johnny. And then, so that's 1970, 11 years, he's backing me at the precinct. But along the time, that, that whole thing ran its course with live entertainment. And, and then you had the disco coming in, right, in the mid-70s. And Eric Camford, who was the boss, the guy that I thought would never hire me, you know, who turned out being like a father figure to me. And, and I learned a lot. He, he was the boss of the whole, he was the president. And not having a father, growing up fatherless, my football coach at, at in high school became my father figure and turned my life around. And um, and then Eric Canford was like that for me here, and of course then Sparky. So he's wants to turn this into recorded music discotheque. He sends me to Phoenix, Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona, for two weeks to train at Bobby McGee's. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They were really good. They had. A, a quality restaurant with a nightclub that recorded music next to it, and there was a whole science behind how you how you program music and play it, and the training of the DJ and the sound and and the, the psychology behind each song and, and everything else to keep people on the dance floor, but then get them to get off the dance floor to drink and spend money, and they were experts at it. So I went down there for two weeks to train, and um, but we were told never call it a disco. It's a bad word, but that's what it was. And Eric had already, he gave me opportunities in the nightclubs. Holiday Inn in Shanville was the Red Slipper Lounge. I turned that into Spanky's and into live entertainment. The Holiday Inn in Covington uh, became Dr. Potts. All of these nightclubs. And Eric gave me the, the freedom to name them and, and, and figure out how we're going to do them. I wound up being inducted in the Nightclub Bar Hall of Fame in 1990. And the only other person inducted with me was Hugh Hefner. And it was because I brought, I brought, I was the first to bring the bar scene to Cincinnati, turning the, these places into, you know, really what they did. And the reason why he wanted them was because if you got a club there with all the action and all the boy meets girl type of bar and all, all, all of the stuff going on, well, why stay at a different motel or hotel? You may as well just stay at the Holiday Inn. So it was like a casino, you know, offering uh, free meals or drinks because they want them gambling and spending money at the table. This was, we want them in the bar so they'll spend their money, their big money in the hotel and stay there. 
and because nobody else had that in Cincinnati, and yeah. nobody has it today. So we had the hottest places to be, to see and be seen, and then you could just, you know, have a few drinks. If you're drunk, doesn't matter. You just walk to your hotel room. You don't have to, you know, get in a car and, and drive to your hotel. So those places became big. That's how I got known. And the guys coming up there, I mean, everybody, everybody was coming up there, whether it was John McElroy, whether it was whoever it was. They, that's where everybody came was Lucy's in the sky. And, I mean, you bring it up right off the bat, it's probably the most famous of all of the places that people remember. And people met their eventual wives there. And uh, we converted it from live entertainment to recorded music. It was Lucy's in the Sky. And I just called it Lucy's in the Sky because it was on the 12th floor. There was no other you know, reasoning behind it that goes a little deeper than what uh, Lucy's in the Sky meant and LSD and all that. It was just at the top floor. But it's... So, it's- it's funny that you um, that you mentioned like this stuff of the science behind running a successful nightclub. And um, when I was in college, I went to NKU and uh, I started going to, you know, college nights for the first time. So um, so the waterfront was like one of the first places that I I went out as a, you know, the freedom that I had of being in college that I didn't have in high school. And so um after running around in that scene for a couple of years, I crossed paths with Scott Sheridan and Josh Huser, who worked for you for a long time. And that was my first peek behind the the business side of running a successful nightclub. Because when you're when you're just a patron, right, you, you think like, oh, they hired somebody who's going to play all the songs that I know and I can buy drinks there. And this is just where all the pretty girls are. But, you know, there is there is a real science to all of it from the promotion of it to the name, to the theme, to how the drinks are served, the, the training. When it got into recorded music though, it was weeks of learning why a song is played and why the next song is played. It all got to, to, to beats per minute. And, and then it's changing, starting with different colored dots and a, a, a green dot was a slow song. And then, you got yellow and orange, and, and, and it was different, higher tempo. And when it got to a red dot, that was maybe 130 some plus beats per minute. And it was a psychology on how, why are you playing these songs? It, it was really scientific. But what you're saying, you know, it was, I, I, Scott Sheridan, I was his mentor. Yeah. But I, I think he's called me, he named it when he did his own club. He had a room called the Ruby Room. Uh, at the uh, claw over there. Yeah, uh, the yep. that's right. Yep. And did a whole thing about me. But for me to be as man, he was the one that really was the marketing, better marketing guy on all that, especially for that demographic. So he ran with college night. Yep. And, uh, and was really good at promoting. So he made that. I mean, there would be 1,500 college kids out there on Thursday night. Oh, I remember. How <laughs> do you have a college night with kids like that? And inside, you have the most expensive restaurant in Greater Cincinnati, you know, with, with, with sushi and steaks and lobster and Dom Perrin. It was like, what? How does that yeah. work? You know, it was amazing. Up, upstairs was La Boom, which was yeah. the recorded music. You know, like I said, that demographic was 25 to 40. It was, you know, its own scene. The, the La Boom was incredibly busy. It was the next thing after Lucy's in the sky and uh, but outside on college night I remember Michael Douglas coming 
he's going to meet me for dinner, and he comes on by boat to the waterfront. And we had a boat box there. Of course. Yep. And he shows up on a Thursday night with uh, uh, with uh, Soderbergh. The, 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 Steve Soderbergh, yep. yep. The director, and then Amy Ireland and the other gal that was in the movie. They were doing traffic at the time. Traffic, yeah. Well, the traffic was incredible at the waterfront that night. So he comes in. And, and when he, he, so he had to walk through that whole college night, 1,500 people. They okay? <laughs> went from the boat dock at the waterfront into the restaurant. And then everybody said, who's Michael? Yeah, of course, we had Derek Jeter. I remember taking Derek Jeter there after I had him. Precinct, I drove him to, to the waterfront. And uh, that college night, that outside Las Brisas, you know, it was floating. It was a rock formation with waterfalls and a swimming pool and a, and a yep. lagoon and a bar in the damn pool. And palm trees that I brought from, real palm trees from Florida, 20-foot palm trees. There was about 20 of them around the place. And live entertainment, two decks, and there were two barges there. And, but College Night made it. And that was that was something I just learned. There was a guy named John Holmes that was doing it and started that whole thing. And then Scott, Scott took over and, and made it such a big night. But I, I, I never called bouncers bouncers they were called club hosts i never wanted to me a, a bouncer you know you go down uh, to these bars and colleges and clifton or whatever and the and, and the, the you know they're doormen but they're called they're doormen i, I liked the club host and they would be polite and they would know how to treat people where the bouncers in clifton they all look like dog the bounty hunter you know they're all ready to <laughs> They're already. They want to fight. Yeah, they bounce. They're so, hoping there's a fight. We had yeah. we had a whole different. There's a, and when you're getting back to the science of the you know, and the training. You know, and, and to this day, it's just it's all about training and, 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 and standards and, and the presentation. How you treat people. How you treat the guests. And I don't care if the guests were 19 or 20 years old or whatever nights. Some nights, you know, you could be you could have the other nights where. They could be in there at 19. They just couldn't get a bit to, to drink. They could have, you know, soft drinks and all of that. Of course, they got around that. But no matter <laughs> how young they are, you treat them with respect. Those people are your age now and older. And, you know, if they were prom kids, I always made sure they were treated with respect, at least my staff. You know, you treat yeah, They're not spending money. They can't drink. It's prom night. They're taking up tables that if it wasn't the prom, we'd have older people there spending a lot of money. Don't yeah. treat those kids with disrespect because you're losing money. Short-term greed leads to long-term regrets. And now those kids are doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs and psychiatrists and, and all that. <laughs> and now, you know, they remember those days. They remember how they were treated at all my places by my staff. It's so, true. It's, it's true. It all comes back. I just, I just want to take a second to pause and say how crazy it is to have a guest on our show. Who, uh, who being homeless and ending up at an Ivy League school is just like a, the smallest aside to the, everything that we're talking about. <laughs> like for anybody else, that's like that's like a life story, and you know what I mean. Like, well, you know, everything I have here, I've done. I owe to the people of Cincinnati, and I get emotional, and I can get, I can get tears in my eyes, and I hope I don't. But there's a reason for that. Maybe I'll get around to explaining that later when we come up with another question. But everything I came to be was because of my football coach, Jeep Bednarik. When I ran away from home, when I was a freshman, I had an F average in high school. 
And I was, I was actually removed from algebra and put in a, a, a basic arithmetic my freshman year of high school, Neptune High School. 1,800 kids, half black, half white, and one Jew. I was the Jew. <laughs> I know what it is to be a minority. Okay? I was uh, an F average. I'm in uh, basic arithmetic. Two times two is what? And uh, getting drunk. And I was a loser and loving every minute. And I'm living in a, in a middle class home with my mother. And we had moved all over New Jersey from where I was born in Newark. My name when I was born was Brian Jeffrey Kranz. Then I became Jeffrey Ruby. I was our mitzvah Jeffrey Goldstein when I was 13 because she married a guy named Sidney Goldstein. I ran away from home and I didn't want her to find me. I just came up with a name. I checked into the YMCA. I'm Larry Brockton. Then I checked into, checked into, um, Larry Brockton. Yeah, I made up a name. There's a street called Brockton. I said, I'll call myself. <laughs> and then I, then I, I'm living in a rooming house in Ocean Grove, New Jersey, all through high school. It was about an eight by 10 bedroom. That's all it was. There was nothing there. The bathroom you shared with the old people, the senior citizens that lived there, you shared a bathroom with all of them. They were in their seventies or eighties. And I'm 15, living in an eight by 10 room. And so, you know, my mother was married four times. I call them my forefathers. <laughs> and when I ran away from home, I sophomore year. My football coach was my homeroom teacher, and he was a man's man. Big forearms, you know, played football, and signed with the Colts, blew out his knee, played at William Mary. His brother was the greatest NFL player in his time, Chuck Bednarik, if you remember that guy's name. He was the all-pro all pro every year Hall of Fame, NFL Hall of Fame. He played center and linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's the one that knocked out Frank Gifford and staring down Frank Gifford in the playoff game, he said, this effing game is over. I got that picture. <laughs> I, I had a dinner date with, with Kathy Lee Gifford last year, and I told her about that picture and who my hero was and my father figured she almost walked out in the middle of the dinner. <laughs> but she was married to Frank Gifford. Like yeah. So Jeep Bittnerick became my idol. And now all of a sudden I wanted to have big forearms. I was embarrassed that I, you know, he was the head football coach. They brought him down from Eastern Pennsylvania to, to improve the football program at Neptune because it was terrible. It was a basketball school. So Jeep changed my life. And it was the first time I ever had anyone I wanted to make proud. And if you're a kid. Yeah. And you don't have anyone you want to make proud. You don't want to make your dad proud. You don't want to make your mom proud. You don't have anyone. You, you're, that's a recipe for, for, for death. And, and you could wind up just, especially in the 60s, when LSD was legal and the drugs and, and, and you know, you watch a documentary in 1968 on, on, on CNN, four part. There's been all kinds of documentaries about the, the 60s. It was, the, it was sex, drug and rock and roll, Vietnam and assassinations and civil arrest and racial. It was made this look like paradise right now. And I'm living by myself with no parents. I, I'm surprised I, I, I lived. But I, I could have gone way off on drugs. I could have just, you know, moseyed my way down to, to, to Haight Asbury in, uh, uh, in San Francisco and been a hippie. Everybody, you know, the counterculture took over and, and, um, it was, uh, deep generic that I wanted to make proud. So I stayed, you know, I cleaned up my, I never did drugs, but I didn't drink. I went from, uh, 
the last kid on the football team to get a trash uh, jersey. I was the last kid. And there was uh, 60-some kids or something. And there's two guys, and there's one jersey left. So the coach, George Washington, the former uh, Army, uh, oh, what was his name? He was big in the Army. And he says, all right, you two guys, everybody in the team here get in the circle. These two guys are going to fight each other until one guy's standing and he gets the last jersey. And then we just kept hitting each other until there was, and the whole team surrounded us. I could care less if I made the team, but I sure wanted to win the fight. So that's how I got my jersey. I, I got the last jersey. And I didn't play much my freshman year. And then my sophomore year, Jeep Benera comes into my life. And um, my grades went to the mid-80s. I started on the JV team. My junior year, I uh, started on the varsity. And the grades were in the 90s. My senior year, I had a 94 average. I was captain of the football team. We were undefeated. I was, played both ways, guard and linebacker. I was first team All-State. I'm now in my high school Hall of Fame for sports. All because of one man that came into my life that changed my life. I went out for wrestling my sophomore year. I didn't win a match. My senior year, I didn't lose a match. <laughs> I didn't win a match. I didn't know how to wrestle. And, and, uh, but my senior year, I didn't lose a match. And, and Jeep would come to my, uh, my matches. And I said, Jeep is good. I, got, I better win this match, you know? And now kids that I have mentored and, and, and surrogate dad to, they feel the same way when I go to their football game or their wrestling match. I've been there a lot of, and they're wrestling. They don't, they want, you know, I'm there and they want to win. And I've helped, uh, you know, I've helped, uh, raise a lot of other parents' kids and, and you know, develop. The other thing that Marty said to ask you about, ironically, that you just brought that up, was you wrestled Johnny Bench. Yeah, that was, uh, I was with Holiday Inn, and by then that was uh, 75, 75 World Series. So I wasn't regional director yet. I was, I might have been an innkeeper, I think, by then. And uh, I asked permission to go to Boston to see my team. Yeah, when I was in eighth grade in high school, there was a guy who got me tickets where I could go to the Yankee Reds game. I'm in eighth grade. And I told Mr. Prate, I got a chance. And they called me the Cincinnati kid, you know, at the elementary school. And I'm going to see Joey Jay against Whitey Ford, I think game one of the 60, what was that? The 61 World Series, I think it was. So I was in eighth grade. I wasn't, I wasn't in high school yet. So probably 13 years old. Now I'm with Holiday Inn in 75, and um, I want to see that Boston Red Sox game. So I go. I'm staying with the Reds and all that, and um, there was a rain delay. Game six, I think it was. Game five, was, it was a rain delay. So we're in the locker room. I'm in the locker room. I got, I'm wearing my 66 Cornell football jersey. So I said to Johnny, I said, here's, this wall here is the goal line. I'm the linebacker. You're the running back. See if you can make it past me. Okay? So he said, okay. Well, <laughs> next thing you know, I mean, this is the fifth, sixth game of the World Series. I was about to say, what if he gets hurt wrestling you? <laughs> what if he gets crazy? What if he breaks a thumb? Anything. Ankle, anything. Okay? And, and this uh, is also, for context, this is arguably the greatest baseball game ever played, right? It, it, I think it was. It turned out to be, yeah. And the greatest series, yes. So it got rained out, okay? They never went back that day. So 
we had a lot of time to rest. So <laughs> next thing you know, the benches are flying. I remember seeing a picture of Daryl Cheney doing a somersault. We knocked him over. He winds up in, a, in midair in a somersault. And uh, <laughs> Pete Rose is going like this, meaning safe. He's agonizing. John. Everybody's having a great time. And then Sparky is in his room, and he hears this noise. And he comes running out of the of his of his office at Fenway. And and I got Johnny on the bottom, but Johnny's got me in a headlock, his arm around my neck, and I can't move. He can't move because I'm on top of him. I got him down. I knew how to rest. He didn't know how to wrestle. But he's got me in a headlock. And and choking me. Okay. I mean, it was like UFC. I might have had the, you know, I might have lost because he's choking. He don't care if I'm dead or not. He just, he wants all out of that. He's getting beat. Yeah, and this is what, six years before he backed me at the precinct. Okay. So Sparky comes running out and Sparky called me Bubba. And he's pulling, Bubba, this is my all star catch. This is the world series. What are you doing, Bubba? He's pulling me off. Okay. So, I get off, and he says, thank God I got to these cameramen and reporters before they left until you cannot publish any of this. And he said, okay, thank God for that. The next day, the New York Daily News, the front page of the New York Daily is me and Ben's wrestling. The front page, big picture of him with the headlock me and my 66 jersey. The entire centerfold is sequence shots of the whole event. Sequence. That's where I saw Daryl Cheney upside down. That's where I saw Pete going this way with the flag, uh, with the uh, sage, and, and everybody out. And then Doug Flynn, who was my roommate, Doug and Raleigh Eastwood lived with me. When I finally got a house, they paid to, to rent the two rooms of my three-bedroom house in Ludlow. Doug Flynn's in the picture, you know, and they're all laughing. They got their knee up on a bench, and they're watching this thing. And then there's the scene of Sparky pulling me off. That's okay. And the whole thing was boys will be boys, playing in the rain, doing the rain out, and blah, blah, blah. So, and then the pack cover of the Daily News, same thing, another picture. It was in every paper in America. I never saw the Boston paper. The Daily News was ridiculous. Okay. And I never saw a game. That game got rained out. We went in the team bust, and they're going to go to Tufts College or University and work out. Sparky, they're all in the uniform. Sparky gets out of the bus to ask somebody for directions to Tufts. You know, we're in a school bus or something. And he's in his room. How do you get to Tufts? Because we're going to, because the game's over. There's no game. That game's delayed. And I was scared I would lose my job. I just flew back. I met, I, so I missed game six. I miss it because I've been to Boston now two days. I haven't seen a game. Had a lot of fun. But I, 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 I'm going to get fired. I know DML, my, my boss is the regional director, is going to, he's not, no, you're getting back. You're not relaxing in Boston and watching baseball. You got a, a holiday in the room. So I, I left. I never even saw a game, except on TV. But um, that's how that whole thing started with, uh, yeah, that rest. That's what Marty was talking about, you know. And Marty and I became friends the first year, uh, the first year he, um, he came to Cincinnati, and uh, a lot of the guys stayed at the Holiday Inn. And Marty, I was having problems with my girlfriend back then, and uh, I was in love. He was having problems with his wife, so we would share misery, you know, and misery loves company. 
and Sparky was my counselor on the whole thing. And then the chapter in the book, The Fight Inside of Me, I think it's a Waylon Jennings song. My, my biography, every chapter is a, is a song title. And I remember getting in fights at the Holiday Inn. And one fight started in the elevator with some guy because he beat up my assistant. It's gone in the lobby and he goes outside and I'm just pounding. He's on the ground and it's snowing out there. It's right at the front entrance of the Holiday Inn and there's snow all over the place. And I'm on top and, and there's blood all over the place. And Sparky comes out again. Bubala. The snow is red. Get off. Leave him go. Let him go. <laughs> that was uh, a lot of a lot of fights. So you had a bunch of restaurants, and then you you eventually opened Jeff Ruby's. Was what, what was it that made you wait so? Like what what was it that made you say I want to put my name on this restaurant? Well, after the precinct, it was six years we did the waterfront. Right. That was number two. Then Marvin uh, Rosenberg comes to me from Town Properties, owns the building where Jeff Ruiz is. He used to be a fresher. And then it was Chow Baby. Remember that? Yeah. So Marvin had, wants to have lunch. And he says, uh, Town Property, we're going to do this development. We're going to do this backstage district. And I'd like to know if you'd be interested. There's going to be big shows coming there. I just, would you be interested in taking over the fresher's and doing the restaurant there? And he needed an answer quick. And I remember it was it was like the spring. And I said, well, I can't deal with this right now. I'm getting ready to open Las Cruces, the summer venue that I just talked about and all of the things that go into it that we talked about. I go to Homestead, Florida to pick out the palm trees. I'd hire the girls that work there. I'd find the entertainment. I'd go all over the country looking for the bands I want. I never booked a band I didn't see to make sure hiring all these employees, all these clubhouse. It was a job. The place was huge, Las Cruces. It was on two barges. Yep. The waterfront was on one barge with two floors. And actually, there was two floors at Las Cruces. I said, I can't deal with this right now. You know, later. So he turns around and he says, well, he's already got a tenant. It's going to be Carl Brugemeyer, who he was friends with, who had a great resume. And they're going to do chow baby at uh, that first. So I never had a chance because, you know, he needed to do it now. They got the money and it's going to be Chow Baby. So I said, okay, Chow Baby was a gold mine, but it went from a gold mine to a land mine in about a year and a half. Okay. So and then Palomino opened. It was a very similar concept and which is cold now. Restaurants are like baseball players. They eventually retire or get cut. They don't go forever. Very few go that long. But uh, they got hit by runaway barges. They got hit on uh, New Year's Eve. He got hit by an iceberg. I, mean, ice, I didn't know there was icebergs around here. Okay, um, That was the worst hit, too. So now, Chow Baby goes out of business. I'm at the waterfront, and Jimmy Gibson, my chef, said, you know, Marvin Rosenberg's here. Has he talked to you yet about chow baby? I said, no, I'm sure he will. So a little bit later, the waiter comes over. says, Mr. Ruby, Marvin Rosenberg. Mr. Rosenberg would like to talk to you. So I go over to the table. He's with his wife, Elaine, and uh, they're friends. He says, I want to talk to you about, uh, are you interested in taking over chow baby? I say, hey, Marvin, you came to me first, and you passed on me to go with Carl Brueggemeyer. That's like someone asking somebody to the prom 
film girl wants to go to the prom. And then the guy says no. She says, hey, hey uh, Joe Blow does, I asked the prom, he don't want to go with me. Will you go with me? I'm not going to the prom as your second choice. Okay. And why do I want to take it as your second choice? So, you know, you should have, because when he went with Carl Brugemeyer and did Child Baby, I told him, and he remembered, he says, I said to him, good, congratulations. I'll see you at the auction. <laughs> and I did see him at the auction. So the place didn't last long. But so now I said, okay, let me think about it. And I didn't know what to do there. What, what kind of thing I would do. But anyway, I wound up doing Jeff Rubens. I, I was afraid to have three steakhouses. Essentially, the waterfront essentially was a steakhouse. And of course, the precinct was. I'm going to have three within a five-minute, you know, drive of each other. It's crazy, you know. Jeff Ruby's location is as close to the waterfront as it is to the precinct. It's like five minutes, you know. And um, but we did it. So I got a logo all figured out, printed. I got a name. I'm going to call it the Seven Street Grill. And we hired uh, first time we ever used a company called Core Resources. They build more restaurants than any general contractor in this city, and they build them all over America. You know, and they did all of, you know, folk and all that. They, they do everything. They've done a lot, of, and I never had used them. So now we're hiring them, and Paul Kitzmiller is, is, is the main owner and handles that. So he says uh, he's going to be the general contractor. And I think town property suggested that. So he says, you got to name this place Jeff Rufus. I said, no way. I says, Seven Street Grill is the name. Here's the logo. He says, You're, you got a name. I says, I got a name. That chapter is the Jim Croce chapter in my book, I Got a Name by Jim Croce. Remember that song? Yep. Yeah. Like a pine tree's water in the water, I got a name. So what I did was, I didn't believe I had a name. I had the precinct and I had the waterfront. And both were doing well. We signed the deal on April Fool's Day. We signed the actual agreement to do the play on April Fool's Day. And then I said, all right, we're going to have a party. And I'm going to invite everybody. And it's my birthday. And we're going to invite them to this, to this construction site. So now you had all the movers and shakers. All the girls you want to come. All the, all the demographic you want. All the ball players, the businessmen. The, 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 the blue bloods, uh, the babes and the businessmen, all, all the five Bs and the Bengals. Okay. And, um, <laughs> so we're going to have this party and it's a construction site. And all I had on the walls was, uh, blueprints for decor. And I put all the names of the people that backed me in the precinct and made it possible. And they were all, Every time I did another restaurant, you guys backed me when nobody knew who I was. And I do the waterfront. You can all be in the waterfront. You can all be in Jeff Rudy's. In fact, the precinct was the owner of, of Jeff Rudy's because I didn't want them. They were there in the beginning and they certainly, and we might be competing with the place they backed me in the beginning, the precinct, the, right. could, the business. Right. right. So not let them be part of this new place. And some of them got in and some of them didn't. But whoever was in the original precinct was in Jeff Ruby's because the precinct Inc. became the owner and they had a percentage of that. So what we did, I remember Mike Piazza said he would come to my birthday party at the construction site. 
It was just a construction site. And they were going from, uh, he was in Chicago, and they were playing uh, Montreal. And it was a Monday, and Monday's an off day, and the party was on a Monday. So Billy Russell was the manager. He tells Mike, you can't go to Jeff's party. And I knew Billy. He said, you can't go to Jeff's party. We fly as a team. We're flying from Chicago to Montreal, and we're having a workout there. We're going to work out on Monday. He said, I told Jeff Ruby, I'm going to his party, and I'm not going to renege. I'm going to his party. So he's Mike Piazza, the greatest hitting catcher in baseball. You know, all-star, and he's, you know, rookie of the year, MVP, whatever. So he flies to Cincinnati. The team flies to Montreal. He flies to Cincinnati, walks in to be at the party. And then he had to find his own airfare to go to Montreal. They're not going to do anything Mike Piazza. He knew it. So he was there. Steve Schott was there. Remember Steve Schott? Morris' nephew. Uh, Go ahead. No, I... Steve Schott was like part owner of the Reds, and he wanted to buy the he they he wanted to buy the Reds, and um, and because Marge was you know, in trouble, whatever, and and Carlinda was there, and he said introduced me to Carlinda, blah blah blah. Carlinda wanted to buy the Reds, and uh, or and, and but every and all this stuff was in the paper, you know, because you had everybody there, and the Reds were there. And, and Mike was there and everything. The place was packed. So what I decided to do is I wrote down the names. Everybody votes. These are going to be our clientele. This is going to be our clientele. Vote, check mark what name you like, what we're going to call this restaurant. So at the top was 7th Street Grill. Then I put, all right, you want my name? I'll put Jeff Ruby's 7th Street Grill. Then we had Jeff Ruby's. Then we had something else. Then we had a few other names I kind of liked. And then we had writing. So then at the end of the party, the employees go to Madonna's down the street. Madonna's is still there. Yeah. On on 7th Street. They go to the bar there after the party to tabulate the voting. And there was like 800 ballots. They had all these people had to tabulate. And just about over 90% just said Jeff Rubens. So I called it Jeff Rubens. You know, you can own your own place, but because you don't want to work for somebody else, you want to work for yourself. You still work for somebody else. You work for your customers. And they're telling me what to call the place. Okay. 90% of 800 people, you know, and uh, uh, Jeff Rubens. So they believed in that name. And thank God, you know, Paul Kitzmer gave me that, you know, he was the one you got to call Jeff Rubens. Otherwise it would never been on that. It would not have been no ballot. It would just been the Seven Street Grill. So that became the brand. That became the brand that we use now all over. Nashville, Lexington, Louisville, Columbus. And we used it in St. Louis at the casino. We used it at Belterra at the casino. That's the brand. I say you wouldn't want to see a 7th Street Grill on a racing horse or. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the horse horse race. Yeah. Yeah. We won a triple crown with three different jockeys and three different horses a few years ago. It's amazing. And Mike Smith, we won both legs of the first two legs of the Triple Crown with Jeff Ruby, who justified. And then a company went ahead and paid the uh, owner of the horse a million two to get me off of that. And um, (laughs) we did. Well, 
as I as I said, of course, we're now at an hour, and I feel like there's a million other things to talk about. So I'm going to try my best to wrap this up because we haven't even talked about OJ or Trump or anything, <laughs> and and all the stuff that you've got coming up in the future and the legacy that's that Brittany and, and your children are running with. I met Brittany on a commercial audition. Really? Uh, when I first was, I was still a PNG, but I had started doing comedy and I got a college or a commercial agent. And uh, we both auditioned for a uh, University of Kentucky commercial. It was the only commercial I ever got. But. Uh, you auditioned for a University of Kentucky commercial? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Ask about that. <laughs> I was sharing his son, Griffin Erledge. He goes to Northern Kentucky right now, by the way. But. Um, well, the OJ thing we talked about, the Trump thing, the only thing Trump, the first person to tell me that I remind them of Donald Trump was Chris Collinsworth, who later became my partner at, uh, at the waterfront. And it was just from the business, the way I do things, the, the, the flamboyant, the, the style, the class, compared to Trump, before politics. And then Carl Linder, who knew Trump, who became my lender, you know, and made all these other restaurants possible, he told me, I reminded him of Donald Trump. As far as OJ, that that's a whole book. That's a chapter in the book called "Beat It" by Michael Jackson. <laughs> so let's let's take a quick second. If you haven't uh, read the book, uh, "Not Counting Tomorrow: The Unlikely Life of Jeff Ruby," it is available in hardcover. Uh, you can get it on Amazon and anywhere really books are sold. But definitely, thank you. Definitely thank check you. that out. Somebody, I think it's like 4.8 stars on Amazon out of five. I think. That's awesome. So yeah, the money, any proceeds from that go to feed the children. You know, it's a, it's a non-profit book. And the, the charity angle of, of the paying for college tuition for kids. I mean, there's a million there's a million things that we all know and we all love. And, and the reason why you're so beloved, especially in this city, and we're lucky to have you. But uh uh, what's what's next for you, uh, as as Brittany and and you know the children move to the forefront in the face of the company? Are you are you enjoying having some more time to yourself? Do you do you have big plans? Do you have other things you'd like to do because you've done this yeah. for so well, long? Brittany's uh, the CEO; she's the boss, yeah, and and Brandon and Dylan work their way up in the company corporate positions, very important positions. Brittany has uh, done an incredible job. Better than she's blessed with something I wasn't born with, called a filter. <laughs> so she's handled all of this stuff. And she just uh, she just gave me a, a chewing out this morning, and she saw a tweet, and I was too close to somebody in my restaurant, Louisville, even though I had a mask on, I wasn't social distancing. She's now quarantined me, made me go back where I'm, you know, you said, well, you know, I got a bit, uh, I have a lot to do. You said at the beginning, I have nothing, I'm quarantined, but I have nothing better to do. So, so, do a so she's the boss. She's my, like a mother to me. And uh, she does a great job. One of the things that she made, I never went on a vacation in my life. And even when the kids were little. And a few years ago, she made us all go on vacations all over the world. And, uh, and we even took my surrogate son of the time, that Griff, with us on every one of them. And we just come back from Rosemary Beach, which we've been to two other times in Florida. Rosemary Beach is like, was started in 1995. It's 
you know, it's not uh, Fort Lauderdale or Panama Beach. And, uh, but nobody was wearing masks down there. It's Florida. Most of the kids there are bicycles and they're junior high or they're in high school. It's not like a, a college thing. But um, so we were there six days. So we're all nervous about that. We're just trying to be careful, you know, about this whole thing. And uh, we wore our masks and, you know, social distance. And, uh, we rented a house, so we had to rent a house. Uh, except I stayed in the hotel. They stayed in the house. There was 19 kids, and I, I got out <laughs> the hotel. But the grandkids are the greatest. They're, they're just, you know. So it's it's what I enjoy now is, uh, is, is spending time with the grandkids. They're incredible. They are so incredible. They just came over the house with their dad, Caleb, three of them, to set this up because I don't know how to set up Zoom. Now, I thought Zoom was some legal thing. Right? Uh, yeah. So, so I thought I was going to have Robert Shapiro on here. Yeah. Well, she she's been you know uh, aside from just what she's done with the company, like she's really been the face of Cincinnati restaurant community throughout the Absolutely. pandemic. She was uh, she was on the team. Uh, there was forty restaurant tours from Ohio that the wine gave. We want you guys to tell us how we should do this which was damn good, you know, for them to get input. They just didn't dictate, here's what you're going to do. You know, in Kentucky, they dictated another 33% is your capacity. That's it. Blah, blah, blah. And we have since got that changed too. And they've eased up on that because of what we did to, to get uh, to get to Governor Bashir about how it should be. And they did change it a week or two ago. But Ohio, so she had 10 people in her task force that were responsible for the capacity. How many people are, are these bars and restaurants uh, in, in Ohio going to hold? What percent, how are they going to do it? And, and they did a lot of work together, the 10 of them. Brittany was on Aaron Burnett on CNN, Bill Hammer on Fox News, Today's Show, the Today Show. She's been in every, she's been, I don't know how many counting press conferences with John Cranley live. She was there giving his talk. And uh, she took this thing. And then we have some great, you know, leaders, John Lonnie from Thunderdome here in town, a good friend of ours, great restaurant group, um, uh, and others that were on uh, this team. But they were from all over Ohio. So she became the voice, not just. Ohio, but nationally for restaurants. I mean, she's making all these nationally televised programs, prime time, a ton of them. I don't know how many times she's been on TV in Columbus. She goes to Columbus. She's on with, you remember uh, Brad Johansson? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, he's an anchor. He's not a sport. Yeah. He's an anchor, and he's been on her on his show uh, three or four times. Uh, a lot of it they do, you know, from uh, video, but uh, so there hasn't been too much where she's actually in the studio. It's uh, it's mostly uh, done like this now. But she's been on all those shows. She's spoken well. She's represented our company better than I could ever. And um, she's represented the industry. There's a lot of things that we did that helped other restaurants and other businesses that we didn't even need. But we're all in this together. And it, it took competitors and made them teammates these competitors that are competing for every you know, diner that you can get, 
Uh, and so you really don't want, you want to beat your competitors like any business, any sport. But we all became tag teammates. We were no longer competitors. And, and we, we always had pretty good relationships with most, you know, especially Thunderdome. Thunderdome John Lonnie, when he was a kid, I gave a speech at Cornell he attended. I gave, well, I said, all your credit, all your accomplishments because of that speech I gave that you listened to when you were a kid at Cornell. And, and, and he's got more places than we do and, and more concerts, but there, we all bonded during this whole thing, you know, and um, established great, you know, Cameron Mitchell is one of the probably most famous restaurant owner, in, you know, he's all over the country. Uh, and, and we had a good relationship with him. In fact, he and I were the two inducted into the Ohio Restaurant Hall of Fame, the first one a year ago. It was him and me. And uh, so we've bonded with him. He's been on national TV a lot. And uh, so we've all, you know, used our, we, we've become compadres, you know. And it's good to have guys like that, you know, all caring about each other. That's awesome. Well, You've obviously given uh, a lot of people that want to make you proud. I think that's why uh, I think that's why you're seeing all these branches of your your legacy start to really come to fruition. So I think that's I think that's pretty awesome. Um, I owe everything to the people of Cincinnati. They made that precinct a hit, and we've expanded it three times. And when it was a disco upstairs, you know, and it was the hottest place to go. In the beginning, and then that wore itself out. All those people that met their wives there, a, a ton of them, you know. And, yeah. and Chris and Holly Collinsworth met at the precinct, and, and it goes on and on and on. That they met there. We we put people together with other good people, and you, you meet each other. So, but the people of Cincinnati made this all possible for me. And the employees, obviously, you got the employees that got to do it for you, and then you got your clientele, the patrons. I call them guests, not customers. Those are the people that make an owner successful, the employees and the, and the customers. And they were great, or both of them. And made everything possible to expand the precinct three times and do the next one, the next one, the next one. Well, as I tend to do when we have uh, certain guests, I run away with the conversation questions. Did, did you guys have anything before I try to put a bow on this? Uh, I think you actually covered it all, all the stuff I know anyway. But anyway. Yeah, I'm, it's, I'm listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No. I'm the worst. I just get so excited. One of the things that, uh, and I'll and I'll wrap it up on this. One of the things that I really loved was there was a video that went out last week of you visiting your restaurant for the first time well, since the pandemic. And I'm tearing up right now. <laughs> you you got emotional. Yeah. Um, and, and everyone was obviously super excited to see you. But the one thing that I really loved is the first people you went to talk to in the kitchen were the dishwashers. Well, I always do. Yeah. I always do. Yesterday, I go to the restaurant in Louisville and I went through there. To, we were already open for business. So it wasn't before the night started. So I go and there's the two, the two guys in the, three guys in the dish machine. Right? I haven't seen them in, I don't know, how many, and a lot of the dishwashers are better off on unemployment because they're paid less than tipped employees or chefs. So I always worried how many dishwashers are we, are never going to come back, you know? And most of our employees came back. Some of them are still furloughed, you know? Uh, my, my surrogate son Griff, I'm telling you about it, is a food server. He's, he's furloughed. His girlfriend 
is a, a, a hostess there. She's furloughed. So I go back in there, and there's these guys. And I walk in. I say, hey, guys. And they look, Rube, how you doing? And they're all dressed kind of funky and all, you know, and they're washing dishes. And, they're all, and I said, what are you guys still doing here? I don't think you guys. And they started laughing. And I just love cutting up with them. And, and I wash dishes. When, uh, one college summer, I, my job was a dishwasher at the Squires Pub, right next to Monmouth Park. And uh, so it, it's, you know, there, there are certain, they, go, they don't get credit. Can you imagine having a beautiful place, putting $6 million in a restaurant, training your staff on the best chefs, the best food, but the plates come out the food and, and there's crud on them and they're dirty. Everything's down the dirt. The dishwashers are, are important, you know? And they do pots and other stuff. They do important stuff. So I just like to, you know, and I paid them like uh, health insurance since day one. All of my employees get health insurance. We pay, when they were laid off, every dishwasher was getting his health insurance paid. Everybody. So, yeah, it, it was good. But uh, when when I went to Louisville, that was the first time I'd been back to Lexington, one of our restaurants. And we were having dinner with the senior advisor for, for, for Governor uh, uh, Bashir. And the CEO of a bank, uh, another friend, uh, mutual friend of uh, Brent Rice, famous attorney, and another former senator who's a businessman. And in that dinner, and it was important, my daughter and I went. And from that dinner came the change that they allowed in Kentucky to make it more uh, manageable to get some people in your restaurant so you don't die going out of business because you can't. You're open, but you can't serve anybody. So they made the change because it made sense for the the measure that we proposed that we would do, and which is allowed in every other state, but wasn't in Kentucky. So I went there for the purpose of meeting these guys. They're important people. And they called, actually, they're the ones that set up the dinner. They wanted, you know, I had to meet them. So it's my first time in the restaurant. I see the employees. You know, the place has only been open a little over a year. And when I went in the kitchen, I didn't know I was going to, you know, I mean, so I, I didn't have my face mask. That was great. That was emotional. You know, I had a bad accident July uh, 13th of 1987, where I was in a coma over two months and, and uh, wasn't supposed to live. But one of the, one of the two things that uh, permanently affected me, my brain injury, was uh, emotion. I get emotional more than, than I used to even before that. So I can tear up when I when somebody, when I see these dishwashers and everybody loving on me and they're there, they're back and they're happy and tearing up. I'm just thinking about it. That's awesome, man. It says a lot about you, though. It's that you've never forgotten uh, where you came from. I think that I think that says a lot. So, all right. So let me let me unfortunately wrap this up. So again, <laughs> the book is not counting tomorrow. Uh, the unlikely life of Jeff Ruby. You know, with our stores opening back up, I'd like to get some copies of this. We should we should be carrying this in our stores. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's available at the restaurants. And, and, uh, and just so you know, the co-writer of this, and Rick Dees set this up. You know who Rick Dees is, right? The DJ? I, I know who he is, and I've, I've learned a crazy amount of stuff about Rick Dees last year, his Kentucky so, connections. So Rick Dees, anyway, he says, you got to get this writer, Robert Winler. He is the authorized biographer of Mary Pickford, the famous first movie star, Burt Lancaster, Shirley Temple, Julie Andrews, and others. But three of the 50 people in, in the legendary category that the, that the American Film Institute calls legends, he did three of their uh, authorized biographies. 
And I had already written chapters, and every chapter was a song title. So I sent it to this. I said, what is he going to do? He said, Rick Z says, you're different. I'm telling you, he'll write your book. I sent him the chapters, and he wound up being the co-writer and made the whole thing you know, make sense. Uh, and, uh, you know, took out most of my fat language and all that stuff. But <laughs> we had to put it in some kind of rhythm. And so he's, he was, uh, he got his master's at Columbia. He was uh, the uh, editor for the New York Times. And his son is, I think it was a Sunday uh, syndicated columnist in 300 papers with 30 million readers a week. This is the guy that wrote my book with me. So it's, it's got some quality to it because he came up. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, you talk about the uh, being at the Beverly Hills Separate Club, the Night of the Fire. I mean, it's like crazy, crazy stuff that, like, I mean, that's the thing about talking to you. It's like there's, there's just no way it was even going to come close to being an hour. So read the book, everybody. And, of course, you're active on social media. People can follow you and, and everything that's going on with your I'm restaurants. Sure. I got Instagram, but I don't know how to set it up. But I got it. But I'm on Twitter. Yeah. And, my, and a my good son, follow I, on Twitter. I still don't know how to set this up. He, he had to come in. Caleb, no, he had to set this up. You're a fun follow on Twitter because you, you speak your mind, and I like that. You see my tweet today? I didn't see it today. Have a safe and happy 4th of July, but careful. Don't celebrate the 4th or the 5th on the 3rd. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that should be on a t-shirt too. Sir, thank you for your time. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for everything you've done for this city and continue to do and like the charity stuff that nobody even knows about. And we're we're happy to have spent some time with you today. And you're you're welcome anytime that you, you make time. And we gotta get a code. Oh yeah, we need a we need a, a word from you that people will use as a coupon on our website or once our stores open back up, hopefully next week. A word. Yeah. Uh, we can use word? Any word? Yeah, you can pick uh, any word that you want and that's we'll make it a coupon for people. Any word I want. <laughs> well, knowing you, yeah. <laughs> say almost any word that you want. No, I wasn't going to use that. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I think, you know, like, uh, like uh, it has to be one word, not two. It can be two it words. Be two. Yeah. Stay safe. Okay. Stay safe. All right. Love it. Right, so we'll put that on the website. Stay safe. We'll put it as two words and one word. With okay. No space. That'll save you 20% on your Cincy shirts purchase online. And uh, if you use it when our stores open back up, you can save 20% there too. That's what a, what a show, man. What a show. Uh, on behalf of PF and Darren, who I talked over the whole time, and our special guest, Jeff Ruby, we appreciate you watching. Thank you very much. Your kind words. I mean, you've been very nice to me and kind. And uh, I've been interviewed before that you know, they wanted to bring up the good, the bad, and the other. So this is good. Ruby, 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 Ruby. Jeff Ruby. 
Boob could have gone on for hours, literally. Uh, we'll for sure have him back on sometime at his earliest convenience. Uh, so many more stories to tell. Uh, I think we only got up to the like early 80s by my reckoning. Now, if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast or someone you'd like to hear again on the podcast, just drop us an email, podcast at cincyshirts.com, put podcast guest in the subject line, then tell us about the person you'd like us to have on the show or have back on the show. We've had lots of folks on twice. Well, a couple, John Keyswetter, the Haunted Cincinnati guy, and uh, Ronnie Salerno have been repeat guests before because they have so much to talk about. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area but still feel connected to the tri-state. And if you haven't already, check out those Cincy Shirts podcast archives, of course, from baseball great Johnny Bench to actor Sammy Yes. Back there's just tons of great episodes back there. Even if you don't know who the person is, uh, it's all about Cincinnati. That's the main thing, and it's just a fascinating stuff. Uh, even the guys that build houses, that was a fascinating episode. I didn't know all, all, all kinds of stuff I learned about uh, building houses and real estate in Cincinnati. It's really, really cool. Today's show is produced by me, with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. Find their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find midget tees from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, Philadelphia, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. Lots of defunct sports teams, like an old football, baseball, soccer team, things like that. Old restaurants, shopping centers. It's like Cincy Shirts, but for those towns. And again, the promo code for this episode is stay safe. You can do one word or two. You can do all lowercase or all uppercase. That part doesn't matter, but you'll use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. Hey!